0: I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it. We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our, our pupils for the real world. This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating, to be honest. Welcome to the Surpass Community Podcast.
1: So let's get started with today's session. So today we're talking about getting to grips with digital credentials. Um, I've got some fantastic guests. So we've got Danny King from Accredible. Uh, Simon Trevors, our Chief Strategy Officer, and myself. So welcome, guys. Welcome to today's webinar. How are you Thank both? You. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Good, good, good. Uh, so um, let's start talking really about, what. well, actually, Danny, do you want to just introduce yourself very quickly and just introduce a credible? That's probably a good place to start.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I'm Danny King. I'm the founder and CEO or co-founder and CEO of Accredible. Um, Accredible is a digital badging uh, or digital certification company. Um, So in a nutshell, our customers are organizations that issue certificates or badges or maybe membership cards or any sort of other credentials to people. Um, But instead of giving someone, say, a piece of paper as a certificate, we make it very easy for them to give you a digital version that lives online that can be shared on places like LinkedIn very easily. They can very be verified with a click of a button. Excellent, and I suppose just to kind of give some context to people
1: around, um, you know, why you're here with us on the in the past community. Um, a couple of years ago, I think it was at the Bristol conference, we talked about uh, some work that we have done as a bit of a proof of concept with uh, digital credentials, and I'd actually selected your platform to to try that out because. It was available through zapier which is my favorite and anyone who knows me knows i love zapier um so i could immediately start getting surpassed talking to a credible and could demonstrate that uh, approach so although we've not got any kind of formal kind of api connections there i think one of the things we'll talk about today is just how you can uh, test that concept out and use a platform like zapier before just to prove that you can do it, um, and then you can explore in a bit more detail. So, but I really do appreciate you coming along. Simon, just give us a very quick intro to yourself.
0: Yeah, sure. I am Chief Strategy Officer for BTL, so I work with partners. I work with our sales team, our account directors, account managers, and look at uh, strategic initiatives in the wider assessment industry and looking at
1: product developments within Sufass that we can do to support our customers and our partners. Excellent, excellent. So let's start with the first question. Uh, what are digital credentials? Danny, I think you're probably the most qualified person here to, to explain that one.
2: Fair enough, I'll give it a shot. Um, so well, first of all, I will say there isn't any formal definition of this. Um, so I'll give you my, my version. It's pretty simple. So let's start with what a credential is. Generally, people are talking about something high stakes. My definition of high stakes is uh, something you would show to a boss or you know, something that sort of moves the needle in your career. Um, so often you're thinking about things like university degrees and so on, but also it can be things like, you know, Google Cloud Platform training that you might do online or having attended a conference. So it really just sort of depends. A digital credential is simply a digital version of that. Uh, there are different sort of forms and formats of it, but the most common wa- uh, one or two are digital badges, which I'll, sh- I'll share my screen and sort of show you a, a live example of that. But basically it's a sort of icon saying that you've gotten something, know something, or have achieved something. Um, or a digital certificate, which is basically, you know, exactly the same as a piece of paper, but instead of being a piece of paper, it's usually a URL that you own and can sort of share on places like LinkedIn or your email signature or on your resume. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Thank you for that. And um, we've had a few responses. I'll show that the, uh, the poll responses now. Unfortunately, you guys can't see this, but I'll tell you the, the answers. Uh, so who who is using... Um, are you currently using digital credentials was the, the question 85 uh, percent said that they are not using them and 14 percent of them said that they are using them so i think you know, it's kind of the, the, the of the audience here not many are using them so who else is, is using them elsewhere in the industry where are they being used
2: yeah i mean i think we're starting to see uh what i would call mass adoption um and we've seen them in, in a, a lot of different places um i can talk about sort of who our customers are, um, which I think is roughly representative with how they're being used out there. Our customers fall into sort of seven different buckets, but the top sort of three or four, I think are definitely universities. We're seeing a lot more adoption with universities, um, especially lately. Um, That's not necessarily always for things like the undergraduate degrees, although more and more that is true. Um, Initially, it's more things like business schools or the sort of smaller online courses. I think they're generally piloting them out And then they eventually expand into something like, you know, the undergraduate degree or the PhD and so on. Um, Professional associations is another really big one. So, you know, think, you know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, financial planners. But even, you know, I think the U.S. Cheerleading Association is is one of our customers as well. So pretty much every profession has an association. They do a lot of credentialing, whether it's sort of I'm a member of this association, therefore I'm more credible or uh, it might be things like continuous professional education, which is huge. For example, in nursing and many other fields, um, like accountancy as well. Uh, and then finally, um, uh, what what we call professional training. So, uh, for example, things like Google, New Relic, Marketo, Docker. These are, these are companies that are not education companies themselves or associations. They're usually tech companies, or it doesn't have to be tech. Um, but they they also train you in how to use their technologies. So that yeah. you show that you're a proficient, you know, professional in you know Google Cloud Platform development, for example. So I think we're seeing it in a, in a lot of different sort of verticals. Yeah. Uh, I think really interestingly, uh, you know, the, the adoption in about twenty eighteen is when things really started taking off. I think before twenty eighteen, these digital credentials were considered somewhat niche, and from our point of view, we would have to go and educate our customers about what our digital credentials and why they should use them. And I think in twenty eighteen, you know, if you look at the graph, it really is exponential after that point where, you know, more and more people would come to us saying, Oh, our competitors are using them. Or, you know, we saw this at a conference and they already know what digital credentials are and sort of want to get using them. So I think that over time we're seeing seeing much more adoption. Now you're actually based on the, uh,
1: the west coast of America, aren't you? Um, so does that kind of indicate a more of a kind of geographical interest in uh, digital credentials or are you seeing an increase in Europe?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. We definitely are seeing uh, an increase in Europe. Um, I don't think there's a difference in interest. And in, you know, so I'm, I'm out here in Silicon Valley, which is kind of considered the bleeding edge of things like technology. And, you know, obviously, we've got amazing hubs like London and, and Berlin as well in Europe. But um, I don't think it's it's uh, there's a difference in interest. I think it's a difference in willingness to adopt new crazy things. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and, you know, generally, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm heavily in danger of overgeneralizing here, but, um, you know, organizations in the states are sort of more willing to try something new, uh, and then organizations in the, you know, in the UK and Europe and other places, uh, you know, generally want to wait and see for other organizations to have done it first and then try it. And so I think that's that's probably what was fueling that sort of growth that I was talking about before. Is that a lot of these early adopters are now starting to see, you know, these really interesting results from having used digital credentials. I can talk about. You know some of the findings, but so I don't think it's a it's a, a difference in interest. I think it's a difference in appetite for trying new things.
1: And I think, well, I know Simon. We've see, we've seen that a lot, haven't we, in our industry? And remote proctoring um, or you know, online proctoring was a particular example where there was a few people that were in getting involved in it um, in the states. There was a lot more, particularly in the universities. Um, maybe the universities in America are just the ones you know are leading the leading edge trying those crazy new things but um you know since covid hit then yeah that's changed our industry a lot and i i, I know we'll, we'll kind of talk about this a bit later on but i'm kind of interested to know you know if covid has, has made a bit of a change for that so for the for the person then who you know is, is issued a digital credential how do they carry and share that what how,
2: what does it look like to them should I show or should I tell what, what you Yeah, Yeah, sure, well, show and tell. <laughs> Perfect. So so yeah. I'm, I'm sharing my screen. I'm not sure if it's shared live. Yeah. Carry on it and there we go. There we go. Great. Um, so, oh yeah, I'll walk you through, you know, what is a digital credential, what do they look like, and then how, how to share them. Um, it's pretty simple. So, you know, I've got three examples I'll show you here. I, I mentioned before there were different sort of styles or types of digital credential. So this one that we're looking at here is one from Google. Um, and this one is both a digital certificate and a badge. So this is the badge version. Um, if i go over to here skillsoft uh you know also also work with us and they just issue badges and then over here if i go to nace they just issue certificates so you can sort of choose there are other formats as well but these are sort of the primary formats you know the, the other sort of uh, new format we just launched is a um a membership card a sort of you know wallet card stuff it looks like a business card and what's interesting about those is you can put them on your apple or your android wallet as well kind of like a credit card or a you know, like an airport ticket, uh, an airplane ticket. So basically, you know, you're, you're given these things usually via email um, and you you click on the link and, and you're on your credential and you can share mm-hmm. this pretty easily. So, um, you know, it depends on, you know, you as you as a, an issuing organization, you can sort of choose uh, much of the layout of this page. So you can sort of choose, you know, do you want to encourage them to share on LinkedIn or Twitter or somewhere else, maybe in your email signature? Those are the sort of three most common ones. And then people also share the URL on places like their resume. Um, but basically, um, you know, you can just uh, click on this little share button. So I'm just trying to find one that has the sharing enabled. So you can see that Google actually disabled the sharing for, for this particular one. Mm. Whereas if I go over here, you know, you can see here that they've, uh, NACE has highlighted LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and WhatsApp, because those were the ones that their customers felt were the most helpful. And literally, you know, you just click on the, the button, and then, you know, you're sharing on LinkedIn. And you can either, you can do two things on LinkedIn. You can either add it to your, you know, your resume on LinkedIn, which goes into your credentialing section which is great Mm -hmm. because then, you know, it it basically says, you know, it adds the credential to your credentialing section then you can click to see the credential. So anyone that's sort of interested in what was this credential, especially if it's one they perhaps haven't seen before, they can just click to it to immediately get context about what this credential is and verify it. Um, And then, uh, you know, you can also share it in things like email, you can embed it on your website and and so on. So it's it's just like sharing, you know, anything else on the internet, you know, click a button, share it on whatever social network that that you think is best.
1: And I suppose for me, from the kind of professional uh, side of things, I would say LinkedIn would be a fantastic place to share because it it's, it's out there. Can it be searched on, on
2: that? You know, can you search based on that credential? I don't know that you can, actually. It's really interesting. I, I know that you can on places like... Uh, so on LinkedIn, I don't think there's a filter for find people only with this credential. Yeah. Um, I know that job boards... like So we're, we're in conversations with several large job boards right now who are specifically interested in building and filtering based on this kind of credentialing data so that for example, you know, if I'm an employer and I'm looking for people who are, I don't know, Amazon Web Services certified, um, not a customer of ours, but, you know, you, you could then say, okay, well, those people would bubble up to the top of the search ranking, which sort of further incentivizes you to get that Amazon credential, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you can do is, you know, Google, for example, have, um, if you click over here, this view certification directory, um, you, you, Google have a sort of searchable interface where, you know for people that have opted into being in this sort of public google credential which we, this is an incredible service that we offer you know you can actually say right okay well i only want to find people with you know the associate google cloud engineer certification and then you can list it there so i don't think it's i don't think places like linkedin have, have yet sort of fully caught up to filtering based on credentials but yeah. you know our customers themselves uh you know have these sort of interfaces to make that possible in the meantime You'd like to think that's the only direction it's going to go, really, isn't it? You know, because I suppose
1: the idea that someone could, an employee can find me based on the fact that, well, it used to be, you know, someone local, but now obviously it might not be so much. You know, people are more willingly to uh, to take on board people remotely. But mm. I, I think having that searchable, findable out there in the domain, in, uh, you know, on the internet, is a lot better than my um, certificate's being tucked away in a cupboard at home where nobody actually knows i have those credentials so i think so it's a, it's a useful way of showing it so in terms of um the actual certification or awarding body how do they kind of issue and and
2: you know manage those credentials they, they can do that through your platform i assume they can yeah so uh you know each organization sort of organizes their credentials differently but um you know when i'm explaining what is a credible you know i'll, I'll often call it a certificate management system that's that's the word you know the phrase that we like to use because it's not just you know a thing to send these credentials out you know you have things like a a certificate or a badge design tool which is kind of like using you know um microsoft powerpoint you sort of drag and drop and you just type in text and you can design the certificate and then you have things like you know the ability to sort of sort all the people that you've issued credentials into groups usually by class or by cohort or something like that you organize it however you want and then you have things like analytics like an analytics dashboard to view okay well who are interacting with my credentials how many people shared it on linkedin versus twitter versus facebook you know, things like that. How many verifications are we getting? Um, so, you know, it's it's quite easy to manage it. You just log into your Credible account and you can sort of view, you know, whichever credentials or groups that you're interested in and the analytics and so on. That's where you can do things like, uh, so, some of the really big benefits, by the way, of digital credentials are, they're not just a static piece of paper. So a few common scenarios that, that uh, we call them heart attack avoiders that are Credible. You know, it, it's super common that on a Friday night, you know, you need to issue, I don't know, 10,000 credentials or 300 credentials or whatever. So you're quickly, you know, you've got to hit this deadline. You'll quickly send out some credentials and horrible horrors. You realize you spelled certificate wrong or something terrible like that. (laughs) You know, no big deal. We just go in quickly, you know, edit it, hit save, and those are all updated. You've obviously worked with me a lot there, actually. You know my work. Yeah, the number of sort of happy support requests we've had saying, oh my God, you know, help me, and and we can just fix it like that. Or you can just fix it yourself. And then another very common one is, well, what if your name changes? Maybe you got married or maybe you changed your name. And you want your credentials to sort of reflect your new name. You know, you can just go in and edit them. You don't need to delete the credential or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, for things like uh, expiration or revocation, you know, so those are very different scenarios. And expiration is, you know, maybe I'm doing my chartered financial planner credential, and that's valid for three years, and I need to renew it every three years. You know, um, you can make it automatically expire, so that you know it's impossible for someone to claim that they have a credential longer than they should. That's a very nice, helpful feature. Um, especially because you can also make it sort of auto remind them say a month before to say, hey, your mm-hmm. credential is about to expire, click here to renew it. Um, and then uh, also things like revocation where if somebody cheats or the one was issued in error, you know, you can just delete it and that's the end yeah. of the story. You don't need to convince them to mail in their credential or to rip it up or anything like that. So, you know, the management of credentials is, is obviously a very strong part of why why you'd want them to be digital. Um, and it's really as simple as logging into your web dashboard and, you know, administering it from there. Perfect. Well,
1: well, I'm going to ask Simon a question now because we had a question that came through about the the automation. Now, Simon's messaged me that um, you're undergoing a thunderstorm at right at the moment, aren't you? So, yeah, yeah, yeah the that, going off all around. So the lights are flickering and all. Yeah, so if 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 the lights go out, the lights come back on. and Simon's hair stood up on end. We know that. He's, you know we, why? Yeah. yeah, we know why. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm just going to share my screen. So we kind of uh, just this is just the kind of model that we explored a little bit when we did the the automation side of things. So. Yeah. Simon, do you want to just kind of talk us through this as a kind of general concept?
0: Yeah, one of the things that we've always seen as critical to success of being able to use a platform like uh, Surpass um, and, and use it to its full potential is about the integration capability with other platforms such as Accredible. So through using the APIs, being able to manage that workflow of data through and across a number of applications. So from a candidate management system, being able to do things like create users in Surpass to administer assessments, create candidates, associate them with particular subjects or assessments, and then schedule those candidates from a learning management system, for example, or an assessment management system. And then once the candidate has completed their assessment in Surpass, those results, they're not just available within Surpass itself. It's really important that those results are all available through our integration capabilities on the result API, which many of the people watching this will be familiar with. But in that result API, not only can you get An individual kind of item level breakdown of the candidate's performance in that particular test but if you set up for example a a cut score on a particular assessment then that could be used to inform whether um, a digital credential should be issued for that particular assessment and then the workflow from there using either events or looking for new results as they're available on the surpass API's can be used to drive an automated workflow around uh, uh, assigning those digital credentials to the candidate
1: themselves so it belongs to them for their learning journey. Yeah, I, I think because a typical scenario is this idea that a candidate management system is used by certainly in the UK, um, it, it varies a bit in America, but because it depends on how it's been registered, but the idea that a candidate management system so you know, the, the kind of approach that we explored was obviously you know, as part of our proof of concept. And there was there was a question that was asked, are we currently issuing digital credentials from this past? Well, we're not at the moment. And that's why we're having these kind of conversations. And really, uh, I suppose, that's why we're wanting to explore it with our customers and show that it's technically possible. But um, so the idea that you could just do a proof of concept where you know, the, the candidate management system says, right, schedule this candidate for a test, they're ready put it into surpass they take this test and surpass can and then obviously immediately go to a credible and issue that certificate and that actual sh- test in this world that we're, we're all working remotely could be a remotely proctored examination and um, there is also the other option isn't it, in the way you yeah the the candidate management system can talk to surpass get the information one and like you say yeah you know, compare that with other information that's that's gone on so whether there's a practical part of the assignment um, and then you know then trigger the the issue in and because you know danny your apis are all ready readily available um and our apis and you know probably in the case of the candidate management systems are out there and then it's all Perfectly capable, don't you think, Simon? You, do you think we can? It's definitely achievable.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And Zapier is just one example of a platform that can be used to drive that kind of integration. So some people might be familiar or ha- have heard of Amazon Web Services or yeah. Microsoft Azure. Those type of platforms have got integration management capabilities built into them. So it is possible to do point and click type integrations. It might take a little bit of development experience to be able to put that together, but in terms of being able to get that data out of Surpass, to either get it into your candidate management system or into your digital cred- credentialing system, that's all absolutely possible. And then defining those workflows based on what's the badge that should be assigned to a candidate based on which assessments or which practicals have they sat or which pieces of coursework have they completed so they can build up that picture of their learning journey equivalent in the old days to what neat portfolio might have been, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah uh, and i think just interestingly um so that we asked the, what the, what's the biggest challenge of uh, around credentials um 25 percent have gone for internal stakeholders so we've, obviously we've had four responses here on this one employees um one percent um and technology is uh is 50 percent. so those that people are watching are obviously seeing technology as a barrier i keep talking about zapiers just because i'm not a very techie person and i can get you know these things set up uh, with a tiny bit of help uh, i'm sure if you speak to your uh, technology providers who are involved then that can be solved on to this problem then about employers um so how do employers danny verify digital? you know how do we know that these things are genuine
2: yeah i'll, I'll talk about that in a second i just wanted to address something you just said actually yeah, which, yeah. Which i think it's super important you know that technological barrier i think is a very real one the stakeholder one too also a very real one um and you know having things like zapier makes that much easier you know our customers seem to fall into two buckets, the ones that need the API automation right up front, and they will sit down and do a week of development work to make sure that works perfectly. Um, Or the ones that are sort of figuring out if this is, it's a pilot, they're trying to figure it out. And so, you know, you can use things like Zapier, you can even just upload a spreadsheet, you know, so you don't necessarily need to involve the technical team initially, if you want to figure out, is this worthwhile? So I would definitely encourage to look at sort of low tech options first, If you're not sure it's worth doing a week of development work and bringing in all the stakeholders, Um, you know, because it doesn't have to be that hard. You know, if you you can put a spreadsheet together and upload it to something like a credible or, you know, surpass, you know, it it is it is possible to do a sort of lo-fi version and then evolve from there. Um, How do do employees verify credentials? So uh, sorry, digital credentials. Um, Well, uh, it's before before I probably share my screen and just literally show you again Um, before I do that. I, th- I think it is worth pointing out that in, g- in general, I'm not sure that employers fully understand yet what digital credentials are in every single aspect, and so that's why, at least from our point of view, we, you know, we we, ch- we tend to prefer the sort of certification view rather than the badging view, at least for now, because I think that an employer looking at a digital credential, um, you immediately understand what it is. You know, if you can think back to that Google certificate, you're looking at this web page. You're not confused about what that is. There's no confusion yeah. about what is a badge, how does it work. You know, this just looks and feels like a certificate. Um, and so, you know, the way you, the, that you verify them is really simple. You just literally click this button, and then this checks our servers, and it checks Google servers, and if they both agree that this credential is valid, you know, then you get a check mark. And if, if there's an issue, you get a sort of cross, and it walks you through what the problem was. Um, and so, you know, it's, it pretty much never isn't isn't valid, you know, unless it's expired or something like that. Um, but it's really simple. You know, the idea is that you shouldn't have to call a university and spend sometimes twenty five pounds, you know, to get something like a verification. It should be as simple as can I just click a button um, and then, you know, uh, as uh, you know, for many people as well, you can just sort of look at the certificate itself. And that sort of is as good as looking at a, a, digi- uh, a paper credential as well. And if you need that extra assurance, you just click the button. So
1: uh, it's interesting because the, the questions that came through um, ahead of it. So. Um, how do you market the value of digital credentials to an entire industry and you you must kind of have been faced with this because obviously you, you know you're spearheading this you're trying to get the, the, you know this kind of technology off the ground what kind of things do you do you say what do you encourage your customers to
2: say to to win people over yeah so this question is really interesting so we're not just talking about what are the benefits to you as a customer but to, to your entire industry so um There's there's this shocking statistic uh, that there's there's a very large payroll company called ADP in America um, and they they handle payroll for, I think it's something like a a third or a sixth of all Americans. They actually pay all my employees payroll. You sort of outsource them to do your payroll for you. They also do background checking and every year they they run between two and three million background checks a year. And what's really interesting is as a part of that background checking service, they also release this public report of what they saw in those background checks. And there was a, there were a few numbers that really jumped out. Um, so uh, in, in one of the most recent reports they did, they said that of people who submitted a resume for a background check, so this wasn't just some resume they found online or or a LinkedIn profile. This is people who actually submitted it to a background check. Forty four percent of those resumes had been found to have a, a, a lie about their work or career history, right. and twenty three percent were found to have falsified or fraudulent credentials. That's insanely high you know i don't know about you it's but I, isn't it? Yeah. my intuition would be it would be a few percent you know sure yeah. there's some bad eggs out there but it's 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 just alarming how common fraud is yeah. uh, and especially when it comes to things like credentials and licenses you know it's quite important that those are, those are valid now i may be biased but i think we all agree that my doctor my lawyer my lawyer my dentist you know i want their credentials to be valid and, yeah. and it's insane that it, sh- it should just be a click of a button to check if it's valid ideally it should just be an api call you know and those things should not be added to places like linkedin unless they're valid i think that is the future yeah. um so you know that's obviously one of the big problems we're, we're tackling if you're talking about an industry in general the credibility of your credentials you know really underpins the value of your credentials and so if you're not able to confidently say yes this is valid 44 percent of the time it's false that is completely unacceptable even 20 20 i think it was two percent of the time or three percent completely unacceptable so, so that's one thing um another one that's less sort of doom and gloom, though. Um, is, and, and this is very unintuitive, is the marketing value of, of having credentials be digital. Um, so the, what's really interesting is that generally, you know, organizations that are creating these credentials, you know, when, when, when we talk to them, you know, what are the big things on your mind? What are the big problems you're solving across the business, not just credentialing? One of the biggest ones is, you know, just spreading the word about our credentials, getting people to know about them, and then getting people to actually do them and complete them. Mm. You know, marketing is hard. Mm-hmm. and what's really great about digital credentials is you know you receive imagine you receive this google credential or this professional association credential it's there in your inbox it says you know congratulations here's your new NACE, you know digital credential and you've got two buttons right click to view it click to share it on linkedin mm-hmm. most people click to the linkedin one it's really interesting because it's a moment of pride and so what happens next well that that person is sharing with their entire professional network who are your target audience Right. your exact target demographic are usually people that are in the same professional network as the people who've done their credentials. And, and what do you see on LinkedIn? You see, hey, Danny just got this credential. You see a little screenshot of it. You can click to view it. And you know, we're seeing really amazing engagement rates. We're seeing things like 100 people clicking like within a week on average. you know, you're seen tons and tons of comments, like sometimes between five and 15 comments. Congratulations. What did you think about this? You know, People are engaging about it. And so these people are seeing, oh, Danny got a credential maybe I should do that credential. Yeah. You connect, you're you taken directly to the credential that we just looked at and from the credential, you can click through to go to your website to actually go and sign up and do the course. So I think also leveraging that moment of pride in a way that doesn't feel like marketing, it feels like a moment of pride can yeah. really sort of move the needle on, you know how, how many people know about these credentials and then how many people go on to take them. So that's a really interesting point there then. I guess there's
0: a there's an element of kind of competition driving that, that when somebody sees that someone else has got that credential or that badge, that it's driving them on to go and do
2: a similar sort of thing. So they're kind of keeping up. Exactly. It's sort of like keeping up with the Joneses. And it's also a, a signal for, there's so many credentials out there, it's very difficult to know which you should do in order to further your career. So if you see someone that you respect having done a credential, you know, that's a very positive signal that maybe I should consider this credential too. And, you know, some of the things that we've been doing to try and encourage, you know, that, that sort of decision-making as well is, um, if you opt in as, as an issuer, um, you can share statistical data on the credential itself about things like average salary for people who take this credential. So imagine, you know, my, my colleague, Alan, gets a credential, right? He shares it on LinkedIn. I scroll down and I see, oh, the average salary is, you know, like 10,000 more than I'm getting you know, all of, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to at least consider taking this credential. So I think there are other, you know, non sort of security. There's other there's other, other benefits as well that I've mentioned here, but I think those are the top two that, that really come up, which is, you know, making sure that we're not undermining our, the, the sort of confidence in our, in our credentialing um, and then making sure that, you know, we can just spread the word about what it is that we're doing and, and why this will benefit your life
1: there's a question a particular question has come in or a comment really is the transparency of pricing associated with any particular platform choice is a barrier too and that's thank you from gavin um i to be honest one of the reasons and i'm not this isn't i don't want this to be a sales uh, kind of uh, session but one of the reasons why i did pick a credible when i was doing the proof of concept was because i could quite easily see the prices um and and kind of just sign up for a few credits so i could do that and I must admit, when I, and I kind of agree with Gavin's comment. When I was looking at other platforms, um, particularly on the API, because I'm a bit of an API fan, and I know what you mean about you could go down the spreadsheet route, but even then, that was a barrier because I, it was I didn't I wasn't sure how much it was going to cost me, and I couldn't test it out. And I suppose, yeah, as an industry, do you think more could be done for, to allow people access to try these things
2: out? Do you think yeah, the industry is doing enough for it? Uh, I don't don't think the industry is doing enough on this. I I completely agree, you know, so when I'm picking a CRM or a learning management system, you know, or a marketing automation tool or whatever, it really is frustration to the point where I'll I'll often not even bother talking to the sales team if I just don't know how much it costs. Because one of the big things is how much does this cost now and how much will it cost me in the future? Um, So, you know, as 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 you sort of mentioned, Accredible does put its pricing on the website. Um, although, you know, uh, I, I think the reason why many companies in the space do this is because often a bespoke integration is required yeah. and it's sort of really hard to price that, you know, so, yeah. you know, a credible put a ton of work into making it so that we have these like cookie cutter kind of tiers where, you know, if, if you don't have sort of complex bespoke integration, you don't need things like advanced weight labeling or a very sort of like difficult API integration. Uh, or, or I should say a sort of complex integra- API integration, there's no need to talk to sales. You can just literally use a credit card, or in fact, you can sign up for a free account on a credible, which doesn't let you do a ton. It lets yeah. you do everything, but it only lets you issue up to, I think, 20 people free credentials. But at least you can try it and you can see if this is a good fit before having to spend money. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you, I think our cutoff point is, um, I think our largest plan is around $10,000. So as long as you're spending less than $10,000 a year, you don't even need to talk to the sales team to get full pricing, you can just pipe in a credit card. So for us, that was a major strategic decision for exactly what you said, you know, people, it's, it, it felt like, look, we're in the early adopter phase, you know, let people try this out and see if there is value to them. And if there is, then great, you know, make it easy for them to use it. But, you know, since it's something that no one really understands what it is until you try it, it seems crazy to me that the industry isn't standardizing around making it as, as easy and cheap, hopefully even free as possible to see if you can get value before using it.
1: I think we're, I must admit, our industry is very much guilty of that. You've probably a view on that, Simon, weren't you? when you we are all a bit shy about pricing. Um,
0: yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's almost like the dirty word, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> we, we all want to do the best for the assessment industry as a kind of wider thing, really. So yeah, that's that's
1: the driver behind it. So one of the kind of, kind of main points today that I wanted to kind of touch on was uh, the idea of blockchain technology. Um, and interestingly, I suppose the, the technology vote has gone up to 30, uh, 60% now, uh, okay. so it's still leading. Mm-hmm. But so can you just explain to us the idea of blockchain and how that could kind of influence the digital credential sector?
2: Great. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and say this at a very high level. And then if you feel that was not enough, we can get as deep as you need. Um, because I think one of the the most frustrating things about blockchain is how quickly, it gets so technically complicated that, you know, you, you, your brain just fogs over. So I'm going to start really high level. Let's, let's talk about what is blockchain first. Okay, so bl- blockchain is uh, a technology that uh, is called a, a sort of decentralized ledger. So what do I mean by that? Best to use an analogy. What is a ledger? Um, let's talk about the central bank. Uh, you know, you've got the central banks in the UK and the US and so on. What is a central bank? A central bank is usually a, a sort of government led or, or, or run or affiliated Bank that makes it very, very easy for other banks in a country to lend to each other. Um, that means that money can flow more easily than the economy. I'm not an economist, so I'm sort of giving the, very much of a layperson's overview of this. How do they keep track of which banks lend to each other and who owes each other what? They use a ledger. A ledger traditionally was just a book which had an entry for each time that Bank A borrowed from Bank B we would write bank A borrowed X million pounds from bank B, right? That's all a ledger is. It's a, a, a list of transactions between parties. And so the central bank is the opposite of the blockchain, right? The central bank is a centralized ledger of all those banks transactions. A blockchain is a decentralized version of that that doesn't require you to have trust or faith in that central repository. Instead, you have trust in a mathematical algorithm that everyone can look at and scrutinise. So the most sort of famous or, or sort of common, perhaps, implementation of a blockchain technology is Bitcoin, which is a decentralised monetary uh, system, right? So the, the reason I'm using the bank analogy is to try and illuminate, you know, what is blockchain and how does it relate to Bitcoin. So unlike the the British pound or the US dollar you have your trust and your faith in the central bank of the UK, the central bank of the US. And that is essentially what ties, to, ties the value of that, that piece of paper that you're holding. The piece mm-hmm. of paper itself is not valuable. It's the trust in the organization behind that piece of paper. The blockchain takes a very different philosophical approach which is there is a decentralized ledger. So if I give you, Tim, one Bitcoin, um, that, that transaction is actually sent to this decentralized ledger which doesn't exist in one central place It exists in everybody who uses the blockchain. They have a copy of that ledger and it's constantly updated with all these different transactions from everywhere else. And eventually they all get updated to be this decentralized version. So everybody has a copy of that ledger, not just this central bank. So what does that allow us to do as a society? Um, It allows us to basically have a transaction. And by the way, you could consider a credential to be a transaction. Think about what is a credential. It's simply an organization or sometimes a person vouching for someone else. That's all it is. And that's essentially what what money lending is as well, right? You know, Mm -hmm. this bank note, you you pick out a 10 pound note or a $10 bill, you know, it's essentially the the Bank of England or the US, you know, the Fed, Well, actually it's not the Fed, uh, you know, the Central Bank of America um, vouching for the value of that note. And so Mm -hmm. we basically have just uh, replaced that central bank with a mathematical algorithm that we can all scrutinize and agree on and change if if we, you know, if we were to disagree, we could launch a competing blockchain. Um, so why why is that interesting and important? It means that untrusted authorities, whether it's you know, Tim, I'm trying to sell you something on eBay, you don't trust me, I don't trust you, but I want to pay you. And maybe you know, we don't want to use the US dollar or something for some reason, we don't have to trust each other to know that that, trans- tr- that transaction will be valid. We can just trust in the algorithm. When we're using the dollar, we're not trusting each other, we're trusting in the US, you know you know, um, reserve or whatever. Right. Um, so for credentialing, the same thing can apply, right? If I issue you a credential, Simon, you know, you don't need to know who this issuing body is. Let's say I'm Google. You don't need to know or trust Google. You don't need to know or trust Simon. You just need to know or trust that the algorithm being used to guarantee that transaction is valid. How long it's valid for, was it sent when I, when I thought it was sent, you know, all these sort of transactional details that, that make up confidence. It can be checked independently by anybody that has been given the ability to check that. Um, One of the uh, common questions around things like blockchains are they're very transparent and that can be a little scary. Hey, is my personal information being put on this blockchain in a way that I can't remove? Yeah, you know, that is not the case. So it's very important to to realize that although something like Bitcoin, you know, the transactions are are made public um, and you can't edit them. That's very important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have confidence in them. They are encrypted. So what, what that means is uh, you know, let's say I give you a credential Simon. No one uh without Simon's green light can verify that transaction without Simon sort of providing a key to make that actually viewable. You can see that a transaction did occur, although you don't know who it occurred between, unless the parties both say, Yes, you can view this piece of data by giving you the key to unlock that encrypted data. So Although it is a sort of massively decentralized and public thing, the data itself is not public. It's just that anyone who's been given permission by the two bodies can go and publicly verify it without needing a third party that they trust in order to do that. Did that make sense? Because I know this is a very sort of complex topic.
1: No, no, you, you, you... You comment
0: first, then. Yeah, it does make sense, and I guess the kind of key to it is that that security, the encryption, the handshaking on those transactions, and then the authorization that goes with it. When I, as a recipient of a a digital badge via blockchain technology, actually receive that particular badge and how I want to publish that on. But I guess the other really important thing with that is that the big advantage of this type of approach is that you're not dependent upon one particular organization's server being available to do that verification. Because as you described, yeah. Ellie, having that kind of uh, that algorithm that everybody's got access to, that lives in the algorithm. Is, is, is that the right way to think about it?
2: That is so important for the future of credentialing. Um, every year, several universities fail and cease to exist. And mm. in fact, I, I just had this last week, kind of ironically, I was doing a background check on someone that we offered a job to and their university didn't exist anymore, and there was literally no way to verify their credential. And you know, I run a, <laughs> run a credentialing company. I have to <laughs> verify your credentials. And if it if it had been on the blockchain, even if that organization ceased to exist, that organization could then make their private keys public, or their public keys publicly accessible, meaning that you could still verify it, even if there was no one to call. So, you know, there's a very real, you know, because it, it sucks that those people's degrees somehow lost value just because the university failed, because it didn't change the learning they went through. It simply changed that the organization existed. And and that is not, you know, anything negative on that person. And it shouldn't be, yet it is. Um, so that's a very real point. Um, there's there's something else I want to say about blockchain though, and did sort of blockchain based credentials. So, credible has support for blockchain based credentials. In fact, the Google one that I showed you earlier, when I clicked on that verification button, the check that it did it actually checked the blockchain record to see if, you know, to see if everything looked legitimate, to see if there are any mismatches. Um, and of course it said there were not. Um, but you didn't need to know or understand what the blockchain was to do that. Um, so the, the, the biggest problem with blockchain based technologies is that no one understands them. Yeah. And If it's a requirement for you to understand something as complex as blockchain, in order to use something like a verification, I think it's already going to fail, even if it's orders of magnitude better. And that's a very important point. Even if something is fundamentally better, if people are not intuitively able to understand it, it will not get used. And there's an example I I think is really important is uh, around the use of encryption of email. So there's this uh, technology called uh, PGP. It's called Pretty Good Encryption. uh, And you can, uh, you know, it's been around for decades, not many decades. Um, and it makes it very very easy to encrypt things especially things like emails there's a very very serious problem in our society which is it's actually remarkably easy for someone like me to spoof an email i can email you simon pretending to be you tim and uh unless you were quite technical you actually may not be able to tell that it wasn't actually simon or tim it was actually me masquerading as simon or tim That's a huge problem. You know, someone could email my subordinate and say, please wire $20,000 to this number. It's it's, it's known to happen, isn't it? It it happens quite regularly. Um, And how could, you know, we know exactly how to protect against this, right? You just encrypt it using a public and private key, you know, and it isn't crazily complex, but it's complex enough that nobody does it. And even when it's something as important as your identity, which is your email address nowadays, and things like financial transactions, people still don't do it. So Accredible took a stance very, very early on of we should use something like blockchain because I think it dramatically adds to the security. You know, the analogy I like to give of how how and why does this add security? Before things like digital credentials, the barrier to you forging a certificate or a credential was can you use Photoshop, right? A kid with Photoshop could make a fake credential, print it out, and could probably fool some people with that. Then companies like Accredible came along before the blockchain and uh, made digital credentials, and we really, really upped the barrier to basically bank-level security. So we have sort of equivalent, you know, security on our servers as a bank would have. We're audited by things like the U.S. government. We're audited by Google every year, you know, things like that. Um, so you know, we basically upped the level from a kid with Photoshop to you need to be a pretty good, like, Russian team of hackers or something to make a fake credential. It's still possible, but the barrier is really, really high. Now, though, with blockchain, why does blockchain add value? You don't need to be this crack team of Russian hackers to hack our servers. You would need to hack everybody in the world that uses this implementation of the blockchain simultaneously Mm -hmm. and change all those records and all those people's individual version of that blockchain in order to do that. That is just not possible. So unless there's some issue with the algorithm that, that no one has found yet, we basically have made it impossible to lie about having your credentials if you're using the blockchain. But unless it's as simple as click a green button no one is going to be able to do that. So that's yeah. why we made it. Click a button, it says blockchain. You just basically, you know, can rely on the fact that we have done that blockchain check correctly. Is it uh, one
1: thing that I've kind of been thinking about is that um I, I suppose as part of the simple blockchain credential that you've got you know the person's name, you know, some, some basic data that, that they took this test. That that I assume that's part of the the, the current current situation. I think for me. And it may be others, the idea that you can, you know, who was, was Tim Burnett the same person that, you know, is now in front of me sharing this credential as the person who actually sat down and took that examination? One of the things that people are always worried about in those kind of situations is, well, that means gathering personal data. It means taking a photo of that person, their ID, etc., which is obviously quite sensitive uh, information. Is it possible to kind of supplement that blockchain credential with some of the evidence, and like I say, have that key that means that I can only show, I can only allow you to see that information when I want it. Is that possible?
2: It certainly is possible. It's not something that we do. You know, Credible doesn't consider itself a sort of digital identity, you know, platform. Although those platforms do exist, and and yes, you know, one could do something like, you know, either you know, t- take an encrypted version of that ID and put it behind something like a blockchain record. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you could use a third party that sort of verifies your ID, you know, checks that it is correct. And then they simply vouch for you and make that as a blockchain record so that you don't have to store that that private information anywhere, even if, you know, because maybe maybe you, you don't trust the blockchain as much as I do or something. Um, so that is possible. I, I imagine there are companies doing that. It's not something that we do. But what's great about that is, you know, if you were to work with some, you know, of course, that can be part of the proctoring check as well, you know, you turn that into a statement, maybe it could even be a credential, right? You could have, you could issue a badge that's like, yes, ID has been verified. You know, we vouch for that. Um, Add that to, uh, you know, the credential as an evidence item, and you could link these two statements together, and then they would just be intrinsically linked. So it is possible. It's not something we do ourselves, but it definitely is possible.
0: And I guess that, again, is the value of using blockchain blockchain technology, in that it's possible to supplement that blockchain, because back to your point earlier on, that... um, it's, it's a representation of value. So adding value, which might be a digital badge, it might be some other identification format, it might be something else that I've got that I want to put into that black
2: blockchain. It is all about that representation of value of that person, isn't it? Indeed, yeah, and also being able to trust that representation, right? Because that's, that's such a hard thing, especially now when uh, you know, in, in the US, whenever you hire a new person, you have to physically check their ID and you have to sign a government form vouching for the fact that you've checked their ID and that they're illegally allowed to work in the USA. I imagine it's the same in the UK. Um, and I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I have, to, I have to do it over Zoom now. Um, so, you know, I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that there is a real need for that. And especially now, I, the, the world has been moving towards re- remote workforces for years anyway, it's just being accelerated lately. So I think there is a very real pressing need, not just to be able to have that capability, but to be able to trust in it to the point where I, I'm willing to vouch to the government that I have done that correctly.
0: Yeah, and, and actually, back
2: to your sorry to back to your
0: yeah. minutes ago, Danny, about um, the example of a university that no longer exists, but uh, a particular candidate from that university has a valid mm-hmm. qualification or a valid badge, or could have a valid badge from that university. I think that's a scenario that potentially we're going to see more and more as time moves on, because as we see distance learning, impact of COVID, all of that kind of stuff, more students taking part in remote courses, and as they're working from home, they've got that choice of being able to do different modules or different courses from different universities in different locations. Now, we already started to see that happening two, three, four years ago, and I found it interesting what you are saying about the start of the increase of use really taking off from 2018 onwards in digital badges. That corresponds quite nicely with when you started to see universities doing massive open online courses, so that for a candidate, they're able to pick different online courses from different universities to suit their learning requirements, which might follow their career. But actually for a university, that's a great way to market elements of their courses to attract full-time students later, who might be international students, they might be home-based students. But I think that's gonna
1: be happening more and more as time moves on with the with the current situation in the world. We, we'll come to the future one, I, I've got a, a Brian, um, has sent in about f- five questions here so we'll, we'll, we'll try and rattle through these for, for brian so uh, his first kind of question
2: i suppose statement um does anyone trust specific blockchain this is a great question brian um yeah I, I don't i don't know that enough people sort of fully understand the mathematics to make an informed decision on this so uh, and especially you know a credible if we were to launch some random new blockchain i don't think anyone would trust that because you know a, you know, we're eight years old now, we're not, we're not super young, but we're still a relatively young organization, you know, we're not some bank that's been here for 100 years. Um, so our approach to this, uh, you know, uh, might be surprising to people. We use the Bitcoin blockchain, um, which is not that there are other blockchains out there, like Ethereum, that are more based on things like documents, um, which, which, you know, sort of from the outside in might, might look like a more obvious choice than Bitcoin, which is actually a financial blockchain. Um, The reason we did that is for for, for two reasons. People already know and understand what it is more than any other blockchain. And also, crucially, it is the largest blockchain. You know how I mentioned before the whole, like, we've gone from Russian hackers to you'd have to hack everyone simultaneously in the world that uses this blockchain. Well, the bigger a blockchain is, the more users it has, the more secure it is. It sort of Mm -hmm. hardens over time the more users because you'd have to hack more and more people to make it possible um, to, to make things like a fraudulent statement. Um, and Bitcoin was just by far the largest. And what's also really interesting as well is that it's actually relatively easy to move from one blockchain to another. You know, it's a little bit expensive. You'd have to do all the transactions again, but it isn't impossible to move from one to another. Um, mm-hmm. So we just placed our peg in the Bitcoin blockchain for now. And we're sort of watching to see what happens because we felt like it was one that had the most trust. And I think that over time, because it's the oldest and, and the longest, you know, it, it, it sort of it, that made sense. Over time, something like Ethereum might come more and more into the sort of common dialogue. And we might switch to that but you know ethereum is very very I, I can i can imagine people watching this webinar later who really understand the blockchain who are not you know just you know uh, you know not a mathematician or not a, you know someone interested in finance or a technologist um getting really angry at me for saying something like that like why aren't you using the appropriate blockchain um but but really it doesn't matter unless the the individual on the street who doesn't fully understand you know can use it as easily as they can use a pound note you know a, a 10 pound note Right, and so that's why I think it, we're closer to that with Bitcoin than we are with something like Ethereum, which is why we picked that. Uh, yeah,
1: to be honest, I've got uh, Betamax and VHS in my head there. You know, it's the kind of one was better, but the other one was slightly more well known, therefore you trust it. Um, yeah. so uh, a couple more from Brian, but we'll kind of round through these. Um, how much trust is needed in, in the blockchain used depends on the nature of the certification. Yeah, I suppose it, it in terms of how you you issue your digital ba- uh, credentials and yeah the level of security you go in there it does depend a lot on the certification you're involved in um how does accreditation work at the blockchain is now the issuing body um do, do you understand that one simon I, i'm not too sure on that one actually i, I, I- I can answer that. Go Go so the, the,
2: the blockchain is not the issuing body. The blockchain is the medium that the issuing body communicates to the world so that this credential exists. So the issuing body is still, you know, the University of Cambridge, one of our customers or Google, or, you know, um, but the, the blockchain is simply the, the medium saying yeah. this credential exists and you can verify it. Right.
1: Okay. I, I was thinking it was more about the uh, an organization changing its kind of status. Um, not every blockchain is needed to be hacked. The majority, though. Yeah. So I think you've said yeah the
2: vast majority there. Sorry. Um, oh, yeah. I was definitely oversimplifying that. I think there's this notion of the fifty-one percent attack. Um, but yeah, I, I was simplifying it for the for the audience. So thank you, Brian. Okay. And then
1: the final one from Brian was uh, you need to identify service to enable access to chain in the first place. Um, so I suppose we, just on that one do we feel as though we i feel as i'm a bit i'm i'm a lot clearer and to be honest the way i i kind of see this next stage you know this is a call out to everyone that's watching if you do want to discuss this topic more at this past conference we have got special interest groups uh, lined up so you know let me know um and we can explore this as a particular topic because i do think people have always whenever i've seen presentations on blockchain people have always struggled to understand it and therefore have shied away from having those conversations. I feel a little bit, I feel I'm closer to that now, actually. So thank you for that, Danny. I really I thought that was really useful. Um, just a couple of final points before we wrap up today. Was, um, so the benefits of digital credentials post COVID-19. Now I've, I've kind of heard stories of um, people showing their paper certificates to the webcam because they've been interviewed online. Presumably, yeah, you know, the fact that everything, you know, if you go down this digital route, it must be
2: easier to, to share that. Um, Danny, I don't know if you want to comment first on that one, and Simon, maybe? You know, from my opinion, I don't think COVID-19 changes the benefits of digital credentials. I I think it definitely accelerates their use. Um, It means that in some cases, it's the only way. You know, it's really interesting. We've had several customers in the last uh, sort of six months that have come to us that were not customers before, but said, we can't print certificates, our print shops are shut down, we have to get certificates out to people, and all of a sudden, Digital credentials are your only option. So I think something like COVID- COVID-19 has accelerated. We've seen a, a growth in business, um, you know, but um, I don't think it changes the fundamental benefits of them, which is, you know, l- let me put it simply. Hey, guys, it's crazy that you can lie about a credential in the information age. Hey, guys, it's crazy that the, the one of the most common, I would argue, legal documents in the world, you know, a credential, um, is a piece of paper with a name and a grade on it, and that's all the information you have. You can't tell mm-hmm. the between maybe a little hologram as well, just for just <laughs> well, true. Maybe a little hologram and maybe some like security <laughs> printed, but effectively the technology hasn't really changed for hundreds of years, yeah. right? And you know it's crazy that you have to physically call a human a lot of the times and pay a bunch of money to check if something is legitimate. So I, I, I don't think this is COVID nineteen related. I think it's hey, it's time to digitize this very common, you know, important document.
0: Simon, your, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, th- I think just on that hologram point as well, that you know, if you're holding up a piece of paper to a webcam, it's really difficult to see whether there's a hologram on it or not. And actually, um, Danny's absolutely right that being able to do this digitally so that it's possible to verify a credential straight away without having to take somebody's word for it on trust that they've got this piece of paper that they haven't hacked about with, or they've got somebody else's piece of paper and they've got the finger over the name all of those trust issues go away. I think the one area where um, post-COVID-19 affects things is, absolutely agree, it's about acceleration. It's about the world is changing, people are doing more online. A job interview, for example, if I do a job interview, you hear stories now about interviewers asking their interviewees to hold up their credentials, their certificates, their previous experience. If the interviewer were able to be able to do that online and verify those credentials straight away, there's an immediate benefit for both parties.
1: Hmm. So I think I think in a way we're answering the final question here, which uh, what is the future for di- digital credentials? Um, I suppose Danny, you're you're invested
2: in it. <laughs> so you know, how do you see it panning out? Just uh, briefly. Well, f- first of all, I think all all transactional records like this will become digital over time. Yeah. Um, I believe the future will be that we're not looking, you know, when I shared that Google certificate before, I don't think we'll be looking at that very often. I think that people will still have them and they'll put it on their LinkedIn profile. Like you said, Tim, people are not putting their certificates on their wall anymore because no one sees their wall. You know, even even before COVID-19, you know, your new office wall is your LinkedIn profile. Um, So I think there will always be a visual representation. But I think the future will be that we don't need one. It will be my API talks to your API. or or monster.com or indeed.com or linkedin.com's API and says like, yeah, this credential is valid. You can trust it. And and it's just a, a, you know, a a transaction that happens behind the scenes.
1: Excellent. And Simon, your thoughts on that? I think that's absolutely right. And I was was
0: just thinking that I've got a digital credential that I posted on LinkedIn. I know what that says about me. It's become scrum certified product owner, digital credential. I've got no idea what the technology was that was used to, Um, deliver that to me. The important thing is I've got that credential, I trust that credential and LinkedIn recognises that it trusts that credential. From an end user's perspective the technology is almost, well it is
1: ancillary to the experience of I've got this credential that can be trusted. Yeah I I completely agree. I think I, I, I see it as it's the only route that we're going to go with this. So yeah people do need to start talking about this more and I must admit I see a lot of when you go to exhibitions uh, last year uh, when we could meet up face to face yeah there was a lot of these kind of paper printer organisations out there with their super security coded paper I I just don't think there's enough of the kind of digital side and I hope that we do see more of that so people can start really understand it and like the the survey shown you know people are saying that technology is the barrier to that i'm hoping that this session has kind of helped people just step over that that barrier a a little bit more and and my plea is really to everyone that's watching if you do want to know more information go direct to danny go you know come to us you know all of us will be able to kind of um, talk you through a little bit more and hopefully we can inch forward on this particular topic i know technology sometimes yeah, when you're focused in your day job of you know, creating new tests and issuing them, you, you tend not to want to step out of your comfort zone. But I think this is one where it's worth uh, worth doing that. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, we have to call it to an end now. Uh, just a quick reminder: please do stick around in the green room afterwards, so we can. Um, uh, there's some Chardonnay and there some MMs. Um, we'll we'll enjoy those and we'll do the thank yous. But um, thank you for everyone for watching. Um, the just for a quick reminder: next week we have a, an accessibility webinar. Ben will be leading on that. Uh, and of course, we have the standard setting one later on in September and this past conference as well. So please do sign up to that. Thank you once again and um, have a pleasant evening or a pleasant rest of your day.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Much.
1: Thanks. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. To keep up to date with the
0: latest information from our Surpass community, visit surpass.com. We'll be back with
1: another podcast soon. Thank you for listening.